This is Mouth Media Network, covering the business of lifestyle. The following episode is powered by Sennheiser, the future of audio. You know, we throw away 14 million tons of clothing waste a year in the U.S. alone. Now, what if you could transform that waste at a molecular level into pristine new fiber? Recently, the hosts of Fashion Is Your Business talked with the CEO of a company that's doing exactly that and have shared that full interview with you here on Material Is Your Business. Hi, my name's Stacey Flynn, CEO and co-founder of Evernew. And what I love about the fashion industry are the people who work in this space are some of the most creative and talented people on the planet. You know, one of the big issues, the big to-dos today in fashion is, of course, sustainability and waste. And uh, we've discovered that there is a something exciting that can be done with that. Uh, and we're going to find out all about it because our guest is transforming textile waste into pristine new fiber. You're listening to Fashion Is Your Business, powered by Sennheiser and recorded on location with Pavan Ball, Rob Sanchez, and Mark Rako. And now, here are your hosts. Stacey, we're excited to have you on the show. Welcome. Thank you for having me. I'm a, a textile and apparel specialist by trade. I've been making textiles and apparel commercially for over half my life now. And uh, I've been focusing on materials reuse in textiles uh, for about the last eight years now. And uh, really, I'm trying to tackle a pretty large problem that's caused as a byproduct of how we make clothing. Okay, gotcha. All right, well, let's find out all about it. Let me ask you this. Let me start out with this. Um, what made you care? Eh. You know, what was it that drove you and said, I need to devote a substantial portion of my life to this exact thing? Because this doesn't sound like just a business decision. Yeah, it really no. sounds like there is a passion here. Uh -huh. and where did that come from? It also doesn't sound very simple. Yeah, yeah fair <laughs> it enough. Is, it's not simple. I did start, uh, I had a um, what people might call a moment of clarity. It was more like a breakdown in 2010. I traveled to China for the first time without large corporate credentials. So mm -hmm. I wasn't Stacy from DuPont or Target or Eddie Bauer. I went in anonymously working um, for a startup and went into the areas where the subcontracting takes place. Uh my colleague and I got out of the car. We were standing right next to each other. The air quality was so thick with pollution, we couldn't see each other. Mm -hmm. And we took the so elevator. that was not a moment of clarity. That was yeah. a moment of Yeah, of a total of opacity. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, total opacity. Then we uh, went up to our meeting room. The elevator doors opened midway through the room to the ceiling was this cloud from outside hovering over the heads of their corporate team. And we sat at a table under this cloud looking at their fabrics and talking about how we could work together as if nothing strange was happening. And uh, I was I, I was I was I wasn't able to do my job. And I traveled around the country. And uh, at one point I realized, you know, there's an entire generation of kids who have, are growing up in the world who've never seen blue sky 
And then I began adding up how many millions of yards of fabric I had personally created up to that point and how many billions of garments that went into. And all of a sudden I became linked to the cause of the problem. So my theory is, is if one person can do so much damage completely unintentionally, what can someone who's pissed and incredibly well-trained do to turn it around? (laughs) Like any good superhero, really. Like any good superhero, yeah. But I had no idea what I was taking on (laughs) at that time. Yeah. Wow. So when you started thinking about the project, uh, the problem, were you thinking, I want to change the the end usage of the product or were you thinking I want to start at the beginning of the supply chain cycle? How did you start to think about this? Uh, You know, I actually started by, um, I wanted to use the rest of my career to figure out where I could make the best interventions. And that's really uh, my business partner, Cristo, and I have both committed to using the rest of our career to finding solutions uh, that are powerful enough to render destructive methods of production obsolete. Mm-hmm. by creating new technologies. But I started by going back and getting my MBA in sustainable systems, and I started studying the problem. And uh, it wasn't until after I finished my research that I really found the intervention point. Um, what I discovered was, you know, 90% of all clothing in the world is made from two fibers, polyester and cotton. And then as subject matter experts, we take these fibers, uh, we put all of this value into them, spin it into yarn, knit, weave, dye, print, finish, cut and sew, elegantly distribute clothing to every human on the planet. And then in the U.S., we throw away 14 million tons of clothing waste a year. Um, And, you know, the design challenge became, okay, if we can take this waste turn it into a high-quality fiber. That's the linchpin of impact for the whole system. Um, I did not know we would stumble across something that was so versatile and had so much beauty. Yeah. So you were thinking initially, I want to come in and disrupt the production cycle of the cotton? Were you thinking about, like, the the harvest and farming methods? Or what was your... um, specific thought around the value chain my specific thought was if we're going to make an intervention we have to create the least amount of disruption at a brand retail level Mm -hmm. because their business model is based on style obsolescence consumption is the key driver yeah if we were going to really make a dent we have to find innovations that work within the way they already work I mean, like I said, these guys are some of the most talented and creative minds in the world, but it's a business. Everybody's required to hit their numbers, and they can't take their head, their their eye off of that prize and work yeah. on truly disruptive innovation uh, because everybody's just trying to hit their numbers. Yeah. It's, it's the not day, easy they're, out there. They're responsible to shareholders. They're responsible Absolutely. To, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Um, so what was your process? How did you actually tackle this problem? Well, you know, it was interesting. Like when I stopped working for the corporate um, corporations, I kind of lost my identity and I had to figure out who I was. So it was uh, it was interesting going through that process of like really figuring out who I was and what my purpose was. So we started uh, the very first prototype we made. We took a T-shirt from a solid to a liquid and back to a solid with a mm-hmm. syringe. Okay. And I put it in three beakers, and I went into major brands. I put it on the table, and I said, I'm going to fundamentally change the way you do business with this technology. And they were like, Miss Flynn, you have three beakers and a dream. And I was like, damn right. That's where it starts. 
And then I liquidated my retirement fund and turned it into what looks like dental floss. Yeah. And uh, brought that back a couple months later. And they were like, wow, you're really serious about this. Yeah. And then um, last March, I brought an extruded cone of fiber, uh, a fabric that passed Levi's QA requirements, mm. a Levi's 511 prototype, and an early adopter dock. And Target ended up signing on as our second early nice, adopter nice. as a result of that. So when um, two kind of questions come out for me. First is, when you're talking about extruding through a cone, are you similar to like the production of rayon from bamboo? Sure. Yeah, yeah, it is a similar process, different solvent, but it's a similar kind of theory. What's different about our technology is we use post-consumer garment waste. Yeah. Rayon requires a tree, and it's actually... Uh, uh, beta cellulose. So 30, 40 to per- percent cellulose content um, is in a tree. Uh, cotton is alpha cellulose, even in its waste form. So yeah. it's a higher quality product. It contains more cellulose. Uh, so our technology basically takes old cotton clothing right now. We break it down to the molecular level and then we extrude it similar to the way you would make rayon from bamboo. Mm-hmm. Um, we extrude it into premium new fiber from okay. there. Now, when, when you were talking about integration into Levi's, um, one of the things I remember reading about was how the U.S. Mint used to be one of the primary buyers of old jeans until uh-huh. Stretch Denim came out. And then the, um, the introduction of Stretch rendered the fibers, the cotton fibers, unusable for the, the mint. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I'm wondering, with what you're doing, how can you fit at all into that conversation? Yeah, that's a great question. So right now we have the technology to separate cotton from polyester on a molecular level and separate them. Mm -hmm. Uh, Cristo is working on the separation of cotton, polyester, and spandex. Okay. Once those molecules are separated, then we can figure out how to get each of the molecule into its highest and best use. Yeah. But right now it's, you know, the holy grail is how do we take a blended garment essentially liquefy it and get those molecules siphoned into their individual components and then reuse them on a molecular level. How much of this process, uh, I mean, I guess any process comes from processes in the past and what you learned from them, but how much had to be invented versus how much were you repurposing existing processes and figuring out how how you can combine them? That's a good question. No one's ever asked me that. And, uh, you can't build the future unless you have a really good understanding of the past. So um, we what have about disrupting and innovation. Yeah, we disrupt, <laughs> but you you basically have to take what already exists and retool it, recam it, and uh, redeploy it. And that's what we're doing in all facets, really. We're basically it's the concept of shape shifting materials. We take them in their in basically your T-shirt in its current form, break it down, and in the future we'll turn it into a pair of jeans. Then we'll take those jeans back and turn them into your favorite sweater. So it's the idea of breaking materials down so that the value's not lost, um, but the uh, the component or whatever you're uh, wearing changes shape. Now, with um, with the solvents you're using, are they reusable? 
Yeah, we can recycle our our fiber up to three, our own fiber up to three times, and we've got a chemical recovery and recycling system, mm-hmm. so our solvent can be reused, uh, you know, upward of ninety five percent. So we, and really that, you know, it's it's the most expensive element in the process. So. Re- uh, recovering the solvent and reusing it actually helps us save money. Mm-hmm. Um, but can I answer your question again? Because I don't think I answered your question about what had to be changed. 100%. And what um, what had to be changed in the industry. That's r- a really interesting thing because we have a micro-extrusion line operational in the United States right now. So we can make sample fiber. Uh-huh. Um, but after fiber is created, then we have to basically simulate... Uh, the characteristics of cotton or simulate the spinning of polyester or rayon. And the equipment is not necessarily configured for our fiber. So Cristo has to work with all of the yarn spinners, um, knitters and weavers, dyers to be able to comfortably uh, handle our fiber. Mm-hmm. And that's uh, one of the things that uh, we have so much, we have 20, 25 years experience in this space. So we've been providing that service. Uh, and quick uh, follow-up question on that. Uh, I'm just sort of curious, how do you know when the cotton has been um, simulated closely enough? How much of it is uh, biochemical analysis and how much of it is just by feel and, and, and look? Uh that is such a technical question, and I'm going to do my best. Um, okay. Basically, if cellulose goes in, cellulose comes out. We're essentially realigning those molecules, and in that process, it pushes through a spinneret. It kind of looks like a shower head. The number of holes and the shape of the hole determine the end-use characteristic of the fiber. So what we're trying to do is outperform some of the characteristics of cotton, some of the characteristics of polyester, and some of the characteristics of rayon by creating something entirely new mm. um, that consumers will actually have an affinity for. We uh, we interviewed on Material Is Your Business um, someone who is uh, producing fibers from the Himalayan uh, nettle, and... Um, which cool. is one of the largest natural fibers. Yeah. And what they were saying is that you actually, it was too long to process. They had to chop it to be able to spin it. Um, when you're producing your fiber, how much is also looking at, like, do we want to simulate long staple? Do we want to simulate short staple? Yeah. And, uh, great question. Uh, we are not mechanically recycling our fiber. We're chemically re- re- recycling. Mm-hmm. So we can, by breaking it down to the molecule, we can build it up into whatever we want. So we can extrude fiber that is finer, denier than silk and stronger than cotton. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the brands misunderstood our technology for mechanically recycled product. Um, and yeah, I asked Cristo. And, yeah. yeah, I asked Cristo you know, how strong can you make this thing? And he was able to take our core fiber and essentially turn it into a pre-carbonized fiber that uh, you'd see in the center of a tire cord. And then he was able to take that fiber and turn it into carbon fiber, which tests out to be three times stronger than steel and five times lighter. So now we can make industrial end-use products made from your old clothes uh, just by... uh, just yeah. by realigning the molecules. It's incredible. So are you thinking there of like aerospace and, and uh, other so, industries like that? 
Uh, if you do aerospace grade, these requirements for automotive aerospace are much more stringent than textiles or yeah. for apparel. Um, home is even more stringent than uh, than tex- textiles for apparel. So uh, we believe we can create fiber that can be used on land. Okay. So we can't fly with yeah. it as you know because it's just the requirements are way too. Uh, way too strong right now mm-hmm. um and we've only been able to get it to be five times stronger than steel okay. if you want aerospace grade it has to be 10 times or over okay yeah uh much more with stacy flan the ceo and co-founder of Evernew, right here on location at Wear conference in san francisco we will be right back From New York City, this is Material Is Your Business. Hi, this is Samantha Cortez with Samantha's Platform. And I'm Stephanie Benedetto, the CEO and co-founder of Queen of Raw. Material Is Your Business really focuses on useful, in-depth interviews with industry notables. It'll serve as a platform for the business leaders, and it provides commentary about virtually anything in between making insights into business and technology within material sciences industry really entertaining, meaningful, and accessible. Here we have amazing interviews with companies with an inside track of material, science, and trends. And we're really looking at everything about the fiber all the way through the end manufacturing processes, and it applies across industries, fashion, interior design, automotive, computers, wearable tech, virtually everything. And we'll discover them all together on Material Is Your Business. Find us on materialisyourbusiness.com, Google Play, iTunes, or on Mouth Media Network. We've talked a lot about the fiber. Um, I'd like to kind of go through the actual product you're able to make from it. Um, Yeah, you brought a lot of stuff. Yeah, you brought some samples, so... Let's pull them out. We'll throw pictures online for people to look at. Um, but I'd love to have you just talk about the characteristics of the fibers. Yeah, the uh, um, the fibers that we're building and fabrics that we're building uh, are, we're working with brands right now on early adopter programs. So essentially they give us challenges to develop or simulate products that they sell. Our goal mm-hmm. as a team is to either technically or hand-wise outperform what they're asking us to build for them. Mm-hmm. So um, we, this is one product that we is 50% Evernew, 50% long staple organic Pima. Uh, cotton and it's uh, gorgeous. Yeah, yeah, I mean, and we feels de- great. delivered it to our customer. They made two two T-shirts, one for us, one for them. And the head of innovation wore it, and I said, you do realize that this is one of two garments in the world made from this technology? And he was like, yeah, I just wanted to see how it performed under stress, so I wore it playing handball. And uh, he he said it actually, uh, he loved the way that it wicked moisture away from the skin. It didn't hold odor. It was really comfortable. So they want to now talk about developing more products with it. I mean, think about the story they could create with this for their brand. Not that it should be a marketing initiative, but essentially this is massive. Yeah. You know, the brands, uh, you know, their business model is based on style obsolescence. Consumption is the key driver. That's the link of earnings margin and cash flow for Mm -hmm. them. Uh, And that's how they make money. Uh, What I believe is really important for the future is to actually – 
find sustainable solutions that are substantive, meaning like, are we really reducing our, the use of water? Are we really reducing the use of CO2 and other types of environmental factors as a result of the way we're making textiles and repurposing them? Um, because up to this point, a lot of the uh, a lot of the programs have not been substantive. They've been marketing. Well, yeah. Uh, I mean, if you're a fast fashion company, how could you even claim sustainability? Yeah. As as an underlying arch, you're already wasting a ton of resources. It's just so through tough through your business model. Yeah, it's so tough because I have a lot of empathy for these brands because mm-hmm. I've worked for them. Yeah, Christo's worked for them, and we know how hard it is when your job is to build product, sell stuff, and yeah. I don't think that anyone intentionally wants to create damage in the world. When you destroy value, that's the definition of an unethical act. No one wants to intentionally be ethical, unethical, but mm-hmm. right now there aren't any options. There's no innovation out there. There's also no innovation fund for but this kind of these kinds of technologies. My concern would be, well, how long does it take to actually produce this stuff? So, I mean, you just mentioned before getting on mic that you closed a round or you're in process of closing a round right now. Yeah, we're a now, bridge round. That means you're going to go into manufacturing pretty soon. You got a couple yep. marquee clients under your belt, which I'm assuming want fabric to be pumped out at a efficient yeah. rate for them. I mean, even their how, prototyping how, are, needs alone, we need to increase our capacity. So, yeah. But what are we talking about in terms of timeline, like uh, just supply chain overall? You're essentially yeah. creating a brand new supply chain. Yeah, we are. We're bridging the existing waste supply chain to the existing textile supply chain. Mm-hmm. So our technology is going to be licensed out to uh, people who want to make fiber. Um, I've got a lot of ideas about how we can do that. And we're testing all of those ideas through the second half of this year. And by January, we'll be able to start breaking ground on a, on a, what I believe will be a, a concept facility um, which should be ready by sometime in 2018. Now, um, you have a couple earlier clients. Are you able to release names of those as yet? Uh, Are they... Brands? Yeah, brands. Yeah, so Levi's is an early adopter. Target's an early adopter. Hmm. I have seven more that are not public, but okay. uh, we're still trying to work out the rollout strategy. You know, the brands Levi's have... has really taken a move towards innovation, huh? Massively. Mm-hmm. Yeah, That's and sustainability has always been a core. Yeah. What's really interesting to me about Levi's is that for a long time, sustainability was at what they were thinking about, mm-hmm. but they were not telling anyone. Mm-hmm. Um, so we actually had a conversation with Grant Barth about the switch from being private about that yeah. and having it as a core value to being public about it and how to keep the public from thinking that they were doing this for marketing reasons when it had always been at the core of the DNA. So that's been an interesting shift to see. It's interesting to hear the word sustainability thrown around so much, you know, because you have to question the authenticity. So this happened with um, responsibility initiatives, right? Yeah. Social responsibility initiatives. And it started with, I guess, Tom's Shoes, right? Buy one, give one. And then you just saw everybody having something to pump out. Most of them were doing buy one, give one initially. Yeah. <laughs> we're the Tom yeah. Shoes of this. We're the Tom Shoes of that. Yeah. And even that wasn't very, I mean. Well, that was actually incredibly wasn't destructive very, for yeah, ecosystems. Long-lasting, I mean, yeah. the long-lasting effects. Once they realized were, how bad they were yeah. actually being. I liked how Warby yeah. tackled it yeah. versus Tom's. It's like, yeah. teach a man how to fish, you know. and Yeah. They'll, but they'll even with Warby, like, still there, you're cutting out the, so the actual production and manufacturing is often the place where you capture the most value in a supply chain. So yeah. if you're removing that component 
from mm-hmm. a local ecosystem, yeah. you're still damaging that local eco- <laughs> ecosystem. You just may not be doing quite as much. Um, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's a complicated problem. Really you know, I think tough. like it's all good work. You know, right, it's, right. and that's the yeah. point. Um, the altruism is there, right? The, yeah. The intent yeah. is. Yeah. Is, yeah. But it, uh, consumers are elevating their consciousness, and that is obvious. And the brands who yeah. appeal to consumer consciousness are the ones that are going to survive. I mean, you can't get away with non substantive marketing campaigns with no real proof anymore. So mm-hmm. this technology gives the brands proof that they're making a mark. Like one of the things we did when we delivered the Levi's prototype fabric, um, we gave them an environmental impact assessment. Here's mm. the impact of your current product. Here's the impact of your product with a blend of Evernew and cotton. Here's a, a impact assessment of your product made with 100% Evernew. And these numbers are massive. I mean, to make a, yeah. a cotton T-shirt requires 700 gallons of water. I heard 300, yeah. 700, you're saying? Yeah, well, you've got the dyeing as well. So oh, yeah, you yeah, assume yeah. that, you know, it's a T-shirt in its full form. But like NPR, you know, you've, you you hear people say that it's cheaper to buy new than do laundry because pricing has gotten so low. Yeah. This is literally a race to the bottom. And a lot of these guys are up against hitting their numbers. They can't think beyond hitting their numbers. And what's happening is it's that is the problem, that the finance is the problem. Um, and we're hoping that by creating a, a fiber that can be regenerated multiple times, we can uh, help the brands improve their sell-through rates. Mm-hmm. So when they plan a buy, they're planning a certain percent to sell at 100% retail, then yep. a certain percent to be marked down, then a certain percent to be liquidated. Mm-hmm. If we can save, if we can increase their 100% sell-through rate, then they make more money and consumers get more product. But it's all about the product, building yeah. things people want. So how do you see yourself fitting into the um, the on-demand sort of side of things where people are thinking, okay, how do I get speed to market increased? How do I get vertical operations increased? Um, yeah. How do you fit into that conversation? That's a great question because I used to poo-poo the local living economy model because I've always played at the you know yeah. meta level in terms of production. And when I went to grad school, you know, I started learning about the local living economy model. And one thing we have today that we didn't have 20 years ago is the ability to network. So the concept that I'm looking at is a micromanufacturing model, which these individual facilities are you know, relatively inexpensive. Mm -hmm, They're not high volume, but when they're networked, they become incredibly powerful supply chains that can 10 times outproduce any major um, supplier around the world just because of the way it's networked. And that's really what I believe. I think it's a, it's a localized, globalized model, if that makes yeah. sense. Yeah, but it it's kind of the way of, the world works. Yeah. It's like the shipping problem that we discussed with UPS, where um, distributed uh, distribution centers, um, even though it may be more costly to run, it, you end up saving money because you're you can hit like two-day, one-day delivery totally. times just because of the location. Oh, totally. If you want to figure out where the majority of the people in the U.S. live, figure out where Amazon's DCs are. Because, <laughs> yep. well, you know, you can map, like, that's why all of the DCs for apparel are in Columbus, because they're within a 500-mile radius mm-hmm. of their 90% of their customers. Yeah, yeah, well, UPS actually does a tremendous amount of consulting on the e-commerce side or the retail side with those insights that they gather just from the shipping data that they yeah. have, right? That's cool. That's cool. So a little pivot. Uh, 
I noticed that the social media handle for Evernew is at Future of Apparel, which makes me feel like either you think it is the future of apparel or you're positioning yourself as the future of apparel or both. And my question is, how much of this type of work goes to responding to what consumers and businesses feel is needed and you're answering the call, filling the hole? And how much is it carving out the opportunity and then consumers and brands follow? And part of the reason I'm asking the question goes to brand partnerships and being able to have them see the light with big money. Yeah, yeah. When it isn't, or when it's so new. Yeah. And and maybe consumers, the wonder, are consumers ready for this? Do consumers yeah. care? All those things. So can you talk on that? Oh, another question no one's ever asked me. This is Man, really I'm good. Yeah. So you're absolutely right. We have to have a point of view on how we intend to position the technology to the brands. They are craving solutions. Not enough solutions are out there. So we are helping them to understand the, what the fiber can do for them. So when we partner up with a brand, the most critical piece of our business is are the relationships we're creating mm-hmm. because we intend to not do this alone. I mean, we couldn't possibly do this all alone. So partnerships are really important. And by partnering up with these advanced materials teams, the futures teams within the brand, we can really push the boundaries of what's currently available to the consumer. Mm -hmm. Now, there's a lot of evidence out there saying the consumer doesn't care about sustainability and everyone's looking for evidence to uh, justify um, putting more sustainable practices into their businesses because of the data mm-hmm. says consumers say they want it, but they won't pay for it. Now, the what consumers will pay for, you can't tell me that's true with Apple. Apple doesn't have sales. The only time they have a sale is when something's discontinued and then they liquidate. And, you know, so the apparel business has been operating on a race to the bottom and they've trained consumers to look for sales and buy yep. cheap. Mm-hmm. And Marketing honestly, choice, not a, exactly. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a numbers approach. Uh, the designers have got to get more involved in the direction of how do you build product consumers want? Because I'll, I'll be frank, uh, the bean counters and the attorneys have been in power for a really long time. And the effect of that is starting to become evident in the industry. And there's a lot of damage and destruction. I don't know one designer who would intentionally create harm with the product they build in the world. It's just the antithesis mm-hmm. of what they're building, you know? So we have to find ways that um, build the business, allow the business to grow, but also uphold the designer's ultimate vision, which is to create beauty in the world. Now, are there other people that you look t- towards as um, in your community? So I don't even want to say competitors because I can't even imagine that you wouldn't want other people also oh, yeah. participating in this in a meaningful I, way to, to, totally. to help things. I, I'm, I'm glad you bring that up. We were just in London a couple weeks ago and I, uh, Sherry and I, my one of my colleagues and I had dinner with Cindy Rhodes from Warn Again. Mm-hmm. And man, everyone working in this space is doing good work. Yeah. And what, you know, I think that, you know, I read this article um uh, when I was getting my MBA uh, um, called The F- uh, Five Forces of Warding Off Competition by mm-hmm. Michael Porter from Harvard. 
And I was so pissed because it was like, <laughs> this is why the world is the way it is. So I wrote the Flynn Five Forces for Embracing Competition. And honestly, the world is changing and we got to think about things a lot differently. And, you know, the, the finance is one piece, but education is another piece. Where did you publish that? I didn't publish it. It was, it was me being uh, just ranting. Yeah, it's like me on ranting. The wall yeah. and, it's and, on my wall. I was like, here yeah. are the five forces yeah. for embracing competition. This is because honestly, like you, if you're going to take on a three hundred and fifty billion dollar problem, mm-hmm. you can't do it alone. No, and of even not. if all of the competitors and all the land joined yeah. forces, we still would need way more people yeah. to come in and but investors don't want to hear that they the worst case how, scenario is my yeah. grandkids can actually live on a planet yeah earth <laughs> exactly i think you know honestly the number one thing that drives me and what i've seen a really incredible affinity for over the last seven years is people are starting to become really unafraid to express their shared love for humanity mm-hmm. and like and they're doing things that are really uncharacteristic for their businesses which means they're starting to invest in technologies like ours they're taking chances on startups like ours and they really want to do something meaningful do exactly that like preserve water for their kids in the future nobody wants their legacy wrapped up in this industry the way it is right now so there's going there has to be a high level of um, awareness that needs to be spread uh, for this to be adopted on the scale that you intend for it to be adopted so what type of things are you doing on the thought leadership side to get the word out there collaborate with collaborators yeah and uh and and figure this whole thing out Well, you know, I uh, have been working with incredibly thoughtful brands and retailers who truly want to use their influence and power to make a change. What I'm getting inspired by also are the emerging brands and emerging designers who are coming up who are like, look, I have nowhere near the volume to warrant like giving you any meaningful business right now, but I really want to put my heart and soul into into this and your technology would be a a phenomenal um, a phenomenal way to do that so I am looking at people who can help us tell this story because you know the story is like when people see the ever new logo on their clothing they should know it's made from their old clothes and Mm. that it's recyclable and you know we're talking about changing changing culture so like you know and in order to change culture, especially in the United States, I mean, you know, the music industry gets involved, fashion gets involved, sports, af- professional athletes get involved. So there is a lot of spreading the word that needs to happen. What's the participation look like from a brand um, that wants to work with Evernew? Uh, so I've got a three-part process. Uh, it's called a um, early adopter program. We actually have just closed our early adopter program. We have an, enough brands now to yeah. represent the whole market. So now we just have an adopter program. So what they do is they'll um, we'll meet with them. We'll sit down. We'll make sure that we're aligned because if their top management isn't aligned on really seeing this technology um, hit the light of day, it's not going to work. Uh, so we have to make sure we're aligned. Um, enthusiastic partners go a long way because we're doing something that's never been done in the world that we don't know what we don't know. So we're going to need people who tolerate that and understand it and will work with us to solve problems. 
But then once we get through that, then we start talking about what kind of products we're going to build. And once we understand what they're trying to do, we'll offer them a technical roadmap of how we intend to do that, give them a budget of how much it'll cost, as well as a timeline of how much time it'll take us. Mm -hmm. Once that initial prototype's done, then we move on to phase two, which is getting them into a pre-production quality, which can be then... um, uh, transferred to a commercial supply chain once that's all built up we talked a little bit about collaboration we talked a little bit about the technology that you have um what i'd love to hear about is your vision of the future of both sustainability and the future of uh, collaboration inside of the ecosystem i love that question because i just went to the redwoods this weekend and that's what i sat with (laughs) um I believe it's all about reciprocity. Reciprocity is the oldest form of social capital. It means I do something for you, you do something either for me or someone else, but you all there's always an exchange in value. And that's what creates human solidarity is this form of reciprocity. So I do think that that is going to be what gets us out of that. The one thing the economists can't get their arms around, there is no algorithm for the power of the human spirit that is aligned on solving a problem. And I think that that's what we're working toward is getting people aligned on solving a really big problem as quickly as we can. We're going to get a little bit more personal with Stacey Flynn in just a moment. We'll be right back. Fashion is your business has more great opportunities to collaborate at other major upcoming events. To explore opportunities to partner, collaborate, or just make sure we connect at these events, email us at podcast at mouthmedianetwork.com. We'll see you there. And now, on with the show. You can follow Fashion is Your Business on social media at Fashion Biz Show. That's Fashion B-I-Z Show. Episodes available at fashionisyourbusiness.com and listen and subscribe wherever the best podcasts are found. And now it's time for Questions Off the Grid with Fashion Is Your Business. That's right, off the grid questions. We ask questions, frankly, a little bit off the grid, a little more personal in nature. And uh, we've no idea what we're going to ask, no idea what our co host is going to ask, much less the order. We fix that with a spin of our humongous Wheel of Grid Destiny. I'm going to give it a quick spin, figure out the order of questions, and the first question comes to me. <laughs> My question, uh, Stacy, is... You are doing some exciting things with Evernew. There's just got to be so much every day you guys are running across that's just making you go, just wow, just wow. So my question is, outside of business, what's still at this point in the world, what's the last thing you remember just outside of your business that made you go, just wow? It was this weekend I went to visit the Redwoods. I was in Mendocino and got to go to the Redwoods, and these trees are absolutely massive, huge, huge trees. They're so inspiring that I I just looked up at these trees, and it's just like, wow. It's incredible. What did it make you, I mean, you just described a little bit, but what did it, uh, what kind of perspective did it give you or, or, or what kind of a feeling inside did it, did yeah. it instill? I always, when I need inspiration, I go to the Redwoods uh-huh. because it reminds me why I'm doing this work. And really, mm. like, you know, my goal is to create 
my purpose, my personal purpose is to try to create the conditions to end human suffering. Mm. And I go into nature, especially into the redwoods, and I just look at the awe and beauty of something that's been around for thousands of years. And you just get this sense that you're part of something that's much bigger than yourself. Very cool. Maybe one of the most interesting answers we've ever had on this segment, honestly. (laughs) Thank you. All right, spinning the wheel. And the next question comes to Rob. All right, so since we went uh, deep and and big, let's go small. What's your favorite color? Consequential. I love hearing about where people come from and how that um, creates who they are in the world. So I was wondering if you... Um, if you have a moment early in your life that you can point to where you, like your perception on the world changed in that moment and you became a different person. Yeah. Uh, this time yeah. she was standing in the redwoods and <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like childhood. Then. Yeah, yeah. Childhood. Oh gosh. You know, I, th- um, I would say, I was 12 years old, um, and I lived in up. I, I'm from upstate New York, Rochester originally. Get out of town. Yeah. So am I. Really? What part? Brighton. Arundaquite, West Arundaquite. I lived in Arundaquite. Nice. Yeah. Oh, nice. Scarborough Car. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, so uh, um, I moved to Texas to live with my dad when I was 12, and I have two brothers and a sister, and a massively large Irish Catholic family that lives in West Arundaquite. And um, I went from a very large family to a really small family to live with my dad. And that was that was my moment of like really kind of like realizing like I am am, I have to grow up, you know, because my father living with my father compared to my mom, my dad required me to grow up. Mm. And uh, yeah, I still remember he gave me this cross. I wear it every day. And he said, you know, your life is going to be terrible. And some days I'm not going to be around and all you're going to have is this cross. So hold on to it. Hmm. Hmm. All right. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> if that was was no. that a little too crazy. No, no, no. That's like, I mean, my dad was so, like, you know, yeah. very direct, didn't mince words. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you have a responsibility right now to lighten it up a little bit, but I'll leave that to you because let's see, uh, whoever it's going to be, we're spinning the wheel for whatever reason, and of course it comes to Pavan. Um, do you remember a time again from your childhood where somebody did something to you that was um, that was very helpful, that really made an yeah. impact on the way that you view either um, your friends, colleagues, people around you, or even the world that you live in? Yeah, my um, when I moved to Texas, my stepmother is a master seamstress, and mm-hmm. she taught me how to sew when I was about 14. And um, I started making my own clothes when I was 14 and really, uh, you know, working on really complicated styles. And I remember laying awake and at night trying to figure out how pieces fit together, and it was just, like, very difficult but once I figured it out, I felt this sense of accomplishment and I kept taking it further and further. And she really trained me at a young age to make my own clothes. And as a result, you know, I, I, I went to a school where, um, 
you know, it was it was different than upstate New York. It was a little more affluent, and um, having my own style was really interesting as a kid. And being able to create my own style was interesting. Yeah, it kind of made made me who I was. That's cool. Yeah, I cut my own hair and you yeah, know, yeah, yeah, did all of that stuff myself. And what was the was, craziest style that you had that you looked back and said, mm, maybe. Oh. <laughs> oh my god! Maybe I shouldn't have let that go on oh. for three years. So. Oh, well, I'll tell you because it's like I was in sixth sixth grade and I watched my stepmother. She was like manicuring her eyebrows, and I decided, as one does, yeah. yeah, as one does. Yeah. And I was, uh, um, I, I was doing the same thing in my mirror, and I decided it was too slow, Just so take I them got off. I got a razor. Oh shit! Oh, yeah, and oh. I accidentally sliced my eyebrow off, and then I, in sixth grade, had to go to school with these eyebrow. Pen- penciled on eyebrows and I looked like nice. Jaja and yeah. I was so embarrassed oh. oh I was so embarrassed oh. but you know well I'm happy was, you and your eyebrows are both here yeah today. we're yeah. here we're I'm intact <laughs> I know how to I know how to handle things now yeah. but yeah all right thank you very much for that threading's so, the way to go I, yeah exactly right <laughs> exactly yeah uh perhaps uh we could invite you to share a, a final thought maybe reflecting on being at the wear conference or uh any other subject that you'd like to share yeah thanks uh the um you know just this has been an absolutely crazy ride especially over the last couple of months and uh christo and i my business partner um have been talking a lot lately about how to you know how to position this technology we definitely feel like we're at a point where we're moving from being a little startup to starting to become a real company and um our relationship and the way we treat each other and the way we grow ourselves is really important as our as our company grows so i'm i'm just really excited to be around collaborators who are working on innovation and um you know i'm always inspired by people working in this space so it's just it's it's good to connect and get away from the rat race of raising money and uh you know landing brands and be able to talk to people conceptually sure great thank you and how can people connect with uh, you personally if you like uh and or your company so uh i have right now 14,000 unread emails so i am buried like every day i try to keep up and so smoke uh, signals yeah, yeah. smoke signals mm. you come to seattle uh we should have coffee but um no linkedin is a good way to get a hold of me um uh and you can get me on my website as well yeah all right thank you so much well thank enjoy you. the rest of where conference and uh best of luck on really a, an extraordinary company and I, I think i see big things yeah so, thank you so much best of luck and uh, just a reminder the website is and why don't you spell it out stacy yeah the website is uh com. ever new Very couldn't nice. afford vowels couldn't yep, afford vowels except for the U. future yeah <laughs> series a <laughs> <laughs> all right uh that's it for this series that's what they're ready. That's vowels, for. Vowels right in there. It's a vowel. What? <laughs> okay. Uh, well, thank you so much, Stacey. Uh, appreciate it. Great interview. That's it for this episode of Fashion Is Your Business on location at the Wear Conference in San Francisco, California for Pub and Ball. Shake it easy. And Rob Sanchez. Good night, y'all. I am Mark Rako. Thanks for listening, everybody. We truly do appreciate it. And we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. <laughs> 
This has been Material Is Your Business. To suggest guests or content for the show or to become a sponsor, email us at podcast at materialisyourbusiness.com. Keep up with the show on social media at Material Biz Show. That's Material B-I-Z Show. Episodes available on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play, along with our website, materialisyourbusiness.com. Produced by Mouth Media Network. Copyright 2017. All rights reserved. No portion of the episode may be distributed or published without the express written permission of the producers. Thank you for listening. This is Mouth Media Network, covering the business of lifestyle.